0: Sucker. Written and narrated by Mark Lingane. Copyright 2014. Episode 4. Fire exploded out of the room, throwing me through the door onto the landing. I rolled to the side and flipped the ancient door on top of me, clasping the golden handle tightly. The fire intensified as a dragon was bearing down on me. There was a creak, followed by the sounds of splintering as the landing gave way ripping out from the wall, metal grinding, wood cracking, bringing a ton of masonry with it. As I fell, the walls appeared to twist and tumble, the whole building bowed down like a cheap pair of chinos. The bricks and tiles rained down as the walls below me crumbled and collapsed into a sloping pile. I landed heavily, sliding down the rubble with bricks hammering on the door clutched in my hands. The rough descent hammered on my back until I had slid all the way to the base of the building and out onto the main street. The building continued to collapse, falling around me, leaving me in a dark prison. I blinked. Slowly I crawled forward with rubble cascading off me. I emerged into the daylight with the golden handle in my grasp. The Jamoke man had a not unexpected look of surprise on his face. His cigarette fell out of the corner of his mouth. He even committed the unspeakable crime of spilling some joe on the pavement. Give me a triple shot, I grumbled. I coughed and a handful of soot shot out of my mouth, standing up presented its own challenges. Jemoke Man offered me a stabilizing hand. I chucked the gold handle to him. You're on fire. He said, his big, deep voice providing some solidity to the situation. I patted out the flame smoldering on my jacket. I ain't gonna ask how you survived that i ain't sure myself i replied that other guy came back when you were inside i thought you'd like to know what happened a big dog came along and chased him away what color Jim Oakman shrugged dog colored you ain't much help i am what i am i'm just saying what i see you want any more joe Hitching on to a 35 was the quickest way to get to the basin, especially as the traffic was picking up. The great rumbling black shiny machine with the government yellow banding eased down the sky, pouring out diesel fumes. I jumped on board, flicked a few hexadecimals into the can and it took off, powered along by the government-regulated 35 miles an hour. A couple of stops and we descended into the basin, the urban decay reached new heights, or depths, here. You got riots over water, phone lines, insufficient ice cream availability. The people were so wired eternally, they raged at anything. Burned out vehicles sat in front of burned out houses, so the bricks and concrete crumpled along with the morals. Hookers turned tricks until they succumbed to the relentless beating of their owners. Templeton Drive lay at my feet. There were a couple of old ex-factory buildings converted into housing for the hundreds, lining a severe street offering nothing but dead vegetation. I turned and looked back down the street. Jamok Man was there. You following me? You betcha. Any chance of a building collapsing, I want to be there. He had a grin so wide it was in danger of stretching past the edges of his face. I gave him a sly look. I checked the address. There was a sad mountain of bricks where a building once stood. You already been here before? My shoulders sagged. Sylvie had slipped me a fake address and now he or she was dead. A better man may have walked away though it was all too much trouble for a mere century. Mina and her associates were nothing but trouble that had already landed me in jail and in pain. But something was burning deep inside of me. I wanted answers to dark questions, but everyone was lying. I caught a 35 heading back across town to the vinyl, thinking about the events of the day and Levi burning on my mind. The vehicle was empty, certainly on my level, and beside the engine drone, it was peaceful. Buildings flashed past below. Levi was about the only source I had, and I was gonna pour him over all the stake. Then it hit me. Something big and black smashed into the side of the 35, rocking the whole thing to the side. The engines whined as they kicked into reverse and fought to lower the 35 safely to the ground. It crashed heavily across the railway tracks directly into the path of the overnight transcontinental leaving Central Station. The train screamed as it plowed into the 35, smashing the top level flat and crushing my level into barely more than breathing space. The sound of metal tearing filled every molecule of my body. An endless rain of sparks and shrieking steel flew around my body. It eventually came to an end as the two vehicles shuddered to a halt. The dying light from the evening sun filtered down through the floating dust and debris. I blinked. I pushed the seat off from on top of me and slid down to the wall, which was now the floor. I kicked open the emergency window at the end and stepped out. The glass tinkled down and scattered over the ground. There was a small crowd gathering. Better judgment told me to hang around for this one. I wandered round the wreckage looking for clues as to what brought down the 35. The Transcontinental had made a big old mess of the 35, leaving the black metal twisted around the Super Train's front end. The driver wouldn't take long to get down after he'd fortified his nerves. I looked into the space in between the two pieces of wreckage. Wrapped up in between was a young lady, blonde and thin, wearing nothing but upmarket lingerie. There wasn't a whole lot left of her. Silk, broken bones, smashed organs and five little burn marks in the center of her chest. I heard the splashing of leaking fuel, then metal scraping against metal. I caught the spark out of the corner of my eye and died for cover. The 35 erupted into a great fireball, throwing me yards into a nearby garden. The fire rolled over me, the last of the flames licking at my clothes. I've better invest in asbestos underwear. I staggered up out of the soft mulch and made my way back to the crash zone. The body of the dead blonde girl was gone, consumed in the fire. My eyes were ringing and my head spinning as I sat down on the twisted train tracks. The supermoon rose up above the cityscape, but was quickly mugged by some passing clouds. Well, it is the city. Watcher and the forensic monkeys appeared in minutes, or it could have been hours. It was all still a bit of a blur and hustled round. The medic had placed a blanket around me, thick and coarse. The blanket, that is. I didn't see the point. Everyone was sweating. Watcher stood with his hands on his hips, overlooking the immense wreckage. What on earth happened here? 35 malfunction. This was the Basin 35. What were you doing down there? He turned to face me. Visiting a friend, I replied. Did your friend live at 667 Templeton in the Basin? No. Why? There was an accident last night. We discovered a nest of uh, individuals hiding there. It was very unpleasant and some good men got hurt. Some punk was playing with an old zippo lighter, probably catching a gas leak, And the whole place went up. I could not help but notice the use of the word nest. I may need to check out what was there before. Was anyone else on the ride? I shook my head and I told him it was an empty coach. The image of the young blonde lady flashed in my mind. She couldn't have been on the ride. I'd noticed someone wandering around wearing nothing but her secrets. Any news about Blondie? The question caught him off guard. The stiff in your room, forensic said it was a heart attack, boyo. The massive coronary shock with complete neurological collapse She had the life sucked right out of her. That all? That's all I'm telling you. Can I go? His eyes did another pass over the wreckage. He squinted back at me. I can't find an angle where you caused this, so I can only label you a victim. An exceedingly lucky one. Where were you heading? Down to the terrace. Well, you're not going there now. The whole central line is shut down. The terrace is not an appropriate place for a casual visit. Where in particular, where are you going? The vinyl. You have to be joking me. If I find you've been there, I'll throw you straight in the cells. You're not going there under any circumstances. He stepped in close to me. His breath slapped me in the face. I could see the meat from his last feed stuck between his teeth. If I do find you going there, I will find something worse than the cells. It's a free country. No, it isn't. This is my city and I'm telling you to go home. He pointed that damn finger at me. He flinched as he raised his arm, his shoulder in obvious discomfort. I got up, gave him a dark look, turned and left. Give the blanket back, he shouted. I've seen your bed and you're not stealing our blankets. I pulled it off my shoulders, bunched it up and threw it at him. It landed on his head and he struggled with it before he flung it on the ground. My nerves were bouncing around like a bad check from the basin hooker. I needed a liquid valium urgently. Another thought had occurred to me while waiting round. Hugh was a singer and in this city the reprobates knew each other. Wonderboy Boy sat behind the opera, bashing the keys like it was a personal vendetta. His old friend Jay was taking his place on the double bass, and for about five minutes they hit the groove. Perfect. The stylus was spinning like a raccoon. They looked over to each other and Jay gave him a nod, followed by that million-dollar smile. A group of excitable young ladies had already formed a queue hanging out on Jay's side, just waiting for a glance. He probably slept with all of them, and they kept it a secret from one another. The set finished with Danny on Vox saying something stupid, and the women started to fight over who would be buying a drink for Jay. Wonderboy gave me a nod and made his way over. What happened to you? I had a date, I replied. He laughed. You know, I know some nice girls. They do things like talk, dance and kiss, Not beat three kinds of hullabaloo out of you. It wasn't one of those foreign brides. I shook my head. It didn't fall off. He called Jackson over who threw some ice in a dishcloth. He poured me a shot while adjusting his glasses. You know this guy. I handed him a photo. He ironed out the creases with his thumb against the tabletop and tapped the face with his index finger. It's speed always impressed me. Yeah, he was that singer who came out of nowhere. What was his name? Uh, Hugh something? Jorican. Oh yeah, he had a three-piece. Suddenly he made a whole heck of noise and then went quiet. Played the Palladium a couple of times. Big gigs, big cash. He nodded in appreciation of his own powers of recollection. You know his location. Wonder Boy tapped his fingers against his lips, then shook his head. Didn't he lose everything, end up with no cash, blowing what he had up his nose and down his trousers? Sounds like it. It's tough at the top. That's my excuse for never making the big time. Too much temptation. You forget that it's all about the music. He's got some stolen cash. Oh yeah, it ain't from us. We got no cash to steal. Danny drinks our profits. Where would he go? Wonderboy looked back over his shoulder at Danny, who was expecting his free drinks from the impressionable bartender. You remember when Danny got that inheritance and then his thug brother came after him? I nodded. I think he went to Limbo's, that dive over in game. It's got some secret number and a gate a mile high, so it's hard to know if anyone's in there. He turned and waved for Danny to come over. He looked conspiratorially around. What's the number for Limbo's? Why, Danny said. His thick voice rolled with a hint of an accent. He would put on some weight over the years, adding some reasonable beef to his cards. But his hair hadn't liked it, so it'd taken the first opportunity to split. Van's got a line on a good deal, but he lost the number. You want in? 10 for a cray. We'll give you a free one for the number. Yeah, I'm in. He wrote down the number and passed it over. Who's the sauce? You remember Jorgen? You hung out with him for a while, didn't you? Danny nodded. He's pushing now. More money in it than gigging, especially for a has-been. I left the two of them reminiscing about the old days, weaving in between the dancers and groovers. The stylus has a phone concealed behind the cigarette machine, it being the only place that was quiet. I pulled across a short curtain that fell to knee height, picked up the receiver and dialed. I kicked my heels against the carpet watching the patterns they made. It was thick and red, same as a curtain. It felt a bit like being in a coffin. It rang, and rang, and rang. I was about to give up when a woman of a certain age answered. Yes? I'm after Mr. Jorgen. Are you the police? You have to declare it. No there was silence a minute passed then another there came a rustling sound down the line as the receiver was picked up yeah said hugh